Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. During the early 1970s in the UK, there was a recession, and sometimes candles would be lit in the evenings when the power cuts came. Many working-class people had to go on to three-day working weeks. My dad was a die-hard working-class man and had clawed his way to foreman in the electrical department of Lucas Industries. My parents had rather a disagreement during this time because he returned home one day with a brand-new car. My mother looked at the bank statements and immediately knew that we were going to be in the red. A flaming row ensued, followed by my mother getting a job making fish hooks, part of the famous needle industries that had developed in my home village a hundred years previously. So I would often see my mother with a stack of tiny fish hooks, wax, coils of fishing line and small greaseproof bags in which she would insert the product of her cottage industry that in her words put food on the table while my dad paid for his car. I would sometimes return home from school and find in the kitchen a large pig's head sitting on the work surface, part of my mum's World War II thriftiness. She would sometimes be given the head by a butcher who just wanted to get rid of it. But mother would make soups, pressed meats, a cheap meal with veg grown in our back garden, all part of the grand plan to survive the depression. I was even given the task of double digging the back garden when they decided to run a potato crop one year. All this self-sufficiency eventually led to a decision on drinking alcohol, and soon a five-gallon bucket appeared with all of the paraphernalia for home brewing and winemaking. At first we harvested dandelions from the local fields, and I remember how the sap would turn my hands to a rusty brown colour that took some scouring and soreness to remove. I was given some of the dandelion wine to try one evening, and at age seven went to bed. I awoke, soaked and cold, wondering what the hell had happened. The dandelion has a strange name, in that it comes from the French Don de Lyon, or lion's teeth, but the French call them pis de lit, which means to wet the bed and it left my parents wishing the French usage was common in the UK. So I was never allowed dandelion wine after that. One summer, my mother once again had the devil in her eye and said, I've just seen a wonderful bank of elderberries. She gave me a bucket and off we went. The sun was shining and we walked along the country lanes, me carelessly swinging my bucket. We stopped and this bank of massive bushes were filled with the tiny berries and I dutifully stood there bucket in hand as my mum whittled away with her secateurs. Then the trouble started. A couple, who clearly owned the property, nestled behind the bushes, came out, clearly angry, and started hurling abuse at us for stealing their elderberries. The thing is that my mother had read up on the law, and she knew at that stage you could cut produce that was hanging onto the public highway. The couple said that they were going to ring the police. My mother said, do ring the police. I will enjoy telling them which part of the law allows me to do this. They walked off in a huff, while I rather uncertainly continued to brandish the bucket as my mother worked ever faster, clearly not wanting the hassle of a discussion with the law. So this hobby was quite an edgy one in our household, and the stories were always vivid, colourful and funny. I would often sit in the lounge watching the demijohns, the large glass containers with a cork in the top, with a funny U-bend apparatus where bubbles of gas would form and burst. Watching the gas produced as part of the fermentation process was certainly therapeutic. 
as the crisis of the early 70s passed, a large consignment of Australian Barossa Valley Reds appeared in the UK and were priced at a level that people might be tempted. So for a while, it was possible to have a really high-quality wine for a bargain, and I think that was when I started to enjoy wine. Not many people drank wine in the UK at that stage, so it was like a well-kept secret. But it also meant that often, when going to a tasting, you would be met with wine snobs, getting all excited, saying, I am getting apricots, slate and dust. I would be there, exasperated, still quietly mouthing the word dust, when they would have moved on to their next wine, having spat the other stuff into a bucket. This put me off a little, as well as the experience of travelling to France, and revelling in the wonderful bottle, drunk in the sun by the castle in Saumur, and the decision to bring a large box home, only to find it tasting terrible in the confines of your own home. So if I'm away now, I will always ask at restaurants, if there is a good local wine, because often the best stuff is never exported. Usually, this leads to real interest from the waiter, who is keen to show off the best of the region. This worked for me beautifully when in Florence one time, where they brought us a local Syrah, and I've never been able to find it anywhere since. When back home in a restaurant, there is always a latent snobbery about the pronunciation of the wine. One time I was looking at the label and saw M-O-N-T-R-A-C-H-E-T, all as one word. I remember pronouncing the T in the middle and being advised by the French wine waiter how it was actually pronounced, Montrachet. He then proceeded to serve another with an interesting French name, so unabashed, I tried again. This time, the retort came, you pronounced it correct, but this is an Australian wine. Of course, when wine is served, it is always, would sir like to try the wine, making me wonder if all these places are misogynist. The whole thing has come from a tradition of ensuring that the wine is not corked a fungal infection in the cork that turns the whole wine rancid. With screw tops, this is no longer an issue, so trying the wine is just a pretense in this situation, carefully swirling the wine around, looking for the legs seeping down the glass, just to make sure that there's enough booze in it. When actually in France, I've never experienced any of this snobbery. When I started stepping out with my now wife, we travelled to Switzerland by car to a wedding, and on our return could not get a place to stay near the north coast. It was that August weekend in France when the whole of Paris empties, filling the shores of La Mer. What about that chateau that you stayed with the kids on that school trip? We called and they had a place. On the first evening, we were offered a little wine with our meal. The choice, red or white. We went for white and were given a carafe of wine. The following evening, I decided to see what would happen if we wanted different wine and bingo. Two carafes the same size as the one the night before arrived. But wine is a business, and there are a few out there that are not all that they seem. Companies promising profit from storing wine for you at the cost of the elevating price. By the end of the storage, you would have been better off buying the wine at full cost, aged, or the wedding gift. These are sold to be given as a present for the happy couple. One for drinking a year on, another five years on, and the third, the poshest, ten years on. We were in receipt of such a present, and of course each wine gradually got worse as time went on. They were not meant for laying down. Over the years we have likened wines to cheese. If I had to survive on one cheese alone, it would have to be cheddar, because it goes with anything. But a luxury would be rock for. I love it occasionally, but wouldn't be able to bear it all the time. We have discovered some whites over the years, one which we called squid ink, because it was called blue ring octopus, and had a taste of sweet gooseberry. But they stopped making it, and it took us a while to discover something from the Nine Crimes range, which my wife now calls Panface because of the picture of the female criminal on the bottle label. At Christmas, I often get the absinthe out to challenge family members to drink it. We have had this particular bottle for 20 years, 
and tastes like a combination of paint stripper and spraying eau de cologne to the back of your throat. But my wife does have a love of rosé wines, especially in the summer, and she calls this Lady Petrol.